0: It's about to be short this morning. <laughs> Some of y'all was like, "It's hot." Why didn't he find his notes? We'll be done. All right, we are cruising. We've been cruising through the Sermon on the Mount. We're on the fourteenth part of the Sermon on the Mount. So, if you were, this is your first time or so with us, um, uh, each message kind of stands alone. You don't have to have had all of the previous messages to understand. But but the uh, um, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, it's his longest sermon. We started out back there in January having a time of, of fasting and prayer and recognizing that man doesn't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That, that, yeah, there's some temporal things that we need. We need a roof over our head, and we need some food in our stomachs and those things. But ultimately, what really gives us life is the Word of God, is, is, is the commands of God, is his, is his life that gives us life. So immediately, we jumped into the Sermon on the Mount. It's the most biggest patches of red in your Bible, and we just have been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And this morning, we are in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Well, and uh, this is the only piece that we've looked at two verses at a time. Had we looked at the Sermon on the Mount two verses at a time, we'd still be way back in uh, Matthew chapter 5. And, uh, but this is at the beginning of Jesus closing up. He's wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. He's been sharing and, and helping realign people's thoughts on how they saw things, on what, they really, what it really means to, to murder. And it's not just the physical thing, what adultery really means, what, what the love is all about. And, he, and he's bringing things to a head here. And, he's, and he is bringing it to a point. So let's read Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter in through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Well, one of the things that whenever we look here is that we the very first word we see is this, this command, this, this coaching, this thing that Jesus is telling us to enter through the narrow gate. And then as we go on a little further, we see that... that uh, let's just go ahead and read it one more time. Enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. Either way, there's an entrance that takes place. Entering is not an option. We're all going to enter into something. It's not like you can just say, "Well, I'm just going to stay out of all of it." You know, you're not to people say, "Well, I'm just not going to I'm just not going to believe in God." Well, that's a belief. You you don't you, you can't just you can't just check out. You can't just say, "I'm just abstaining from this whole thing called life." You entering is not an option. We are going to enter into something. We're all headed in some direction. I got to go uh pick up this guy that's a, a pilot on friday to he was actually looking at my rv looking at buying it and um so we got to visit about flying i'd got my license way back in 2000 and uh he was uh so we got to talking about flying it just started making me making me think about flying again and how much i miss it and because uh, it is so much fun but man i tell you what life is a whole lot like flying birth man is there that takeoff and at some point we're going to have an end to our trip. We're going to have this landing, and our life is going to come to an end. And it doesn't have to be a big, scary thing. It could be a wonderful just transitioning from one element to another element. That's what it is for believers. You know, there are people who, they're, they're, it's ugly when their life comes to an end. But for believers, it doesn't have to be. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. And, uh, you know, pilots say that uh, flying is the uh, second greatest um, exhilaration known to man landing is the first. And, uh, and so, cause it's a, the only, it's only fun when you're up there. If you know, you can get down anytime you want to. Uh, but once you're up there, then you are headed in some direction. There's no pause button to say, Hmm, I don't know where I'm at or what's going on. You are, you're up there. You're headed in some direction. You are constantly going in some way. Yeah, if all, if the, uh, uh, if the engine stops, then all of a sudden you're, you're now headed in a new direction. Down, in a hurry. And uh, I, uh, got, uh, I never had to do that, but I scared myself one time real good. I was uh, flying with uh, a guy who was uh, with Moses. I was flying with my, um, uh, one of my assistants, and we'd gone to drop some people off, and we were coming back, and we were playing. And I was playing with this plane. And we were floating this, I uh, had a little notebook, and we was, I was floating it, making it hover. And I'd just pull the plane up, put it into a little dive, and it looked like it was just hovering in midair. And, of course, it's just falling at the rate that the plane's falling. So, and it came up, and you know Moses would reach over there, and he'd, he'd grab it out of the air. Well, I decided that I was going to, uh, um, decide, I, like, I want if I can put that thing in the back seat. And so, he's like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. I like, yeah, I want to do it. So I said, put it on the dash. So I get it up into a good climb, and then I whoo, hammer it over. And sure enough, that sitting there's come up right as it gets just above his head. He's ducking to let it get into the back seat. All of a sudden, the uh, motor cuts off. And I'm like, ah! Oh. And I had forgotten that I was in a high-wing airplane, and it doesn't have a fuel pump. It, you know, it's gravity. You pull it down. And just like that uh, little book was floating... All my fuel was floating in the wings. And, oh, I'm telling you, my heart just... And as soon as I leveled off, and... it wasn't long enough. that Propeller was still windmill, and it still had spark. And as soon as it got fuel, it was going again. All was good. But I never, ever did that trick again. Never. That's... Like that is... That's a no-no. But when you are flying, you are headed in some direction. You don't get to pause. You don't get to stop. Life is headed in some direction. It is going. It's like that game, Tetris game. You know, it's constantly coming at you. You don't sit there and get to work it and pause it. You know, it blanks out the screen. You, it is totally coming at you, and you have to deal with it as it comes. And so Proverbs chapter 14, <clears throat> verse 12 says, There is a way... That seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to destruction we 're all headed in some direction we 're all headed in some direction that seems right. you know we everybody, even people who are pursuing other gods and doing other things they 're doing what feels right that 's what our whole world is built on right now. Just do whatever feels right to you. just do whatever seems right to you well. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is its destruction. We're all going in some direction. Deuteronomy thirty nineteen says, This day I call heaven and earth as a witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Now choose life that you and your children might live. We have to choose. They're, again, they're constantly coming at us. It's that, that Tetris game, that peace is coming. And you've got to choose how to finagle it, how you're going to handle it. Constantly, life is moving our direction, and we're entering into something. It's not an option at all. We, uh, my wife loves to watch the HGTV. And so she, that's constantly on, on our, that's why I fall asleep. HGTV and uh, watching all of the little shows where they're fixing people's house up and all this stuff and we were watching one that one was on this weekend and as I'm coming through this guy is begging this man to make a decision on picking a tile he's having to pick a tile for his bathroom and it showed the elapsed time that just kept cutting away and this poor guy had had three tile selections and it keep cutting away And the last one I saw was 38 minutes that this guy stared and looked at these three tile selections. I mean, the cameras are rolling. They're waiting on this guy to make a decision, and he just locked up. Just vapor locked on trying to figure out what tile he's going to pick. We don't the, the cameras are rolling. Life is going. We don't get a time out to not make a decision is to make a decision. We're constantly entering into something that Jesus tells us to enter through the narrow gate. God tells us there in Deuteronomy 13 to choose life. Choose life. We have to make a decision. We have to make a choice. We've been blessed with, the, with, our, with being choosers. The next thing we see is that the difference between the narrow gate and the wide gate is Jesus. Jesus is the difference between the narrow gate and the wide gate. You say like, well, you know, what's, how do I choose? In life, how do I choose? What's the you know, what's the narrow gate and what's the wide gate? If I get in one certain crowd, everybody's going in that direction. You know, you can get in you know, you get in one church group or you get in one this deal and man, everybody's going, that seems to be the wide gate. Maybe maybe that's not the right deal. How do I choose? What's the wide gate and what's the narrow gate? As you shift cultures, you know, you can't just look at it and say, what's the, well, whatever the crowd is doing, I'm going to do opposite of the crowd. You can't, you can't make your decisions based on that. The, what we have to look at is Jesus is the narrow gate. John 10, verses 7 through 10 says, Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life. Remember, the narrow gate leads to life. Jesus says, I am the gate. And you, may, you come through me, you have life and life abundantly. Whenever you're trying to look and make a decision in life, as life is coming at you, as decisions are having to be made every day, second by second, minute by minute, hour by hour, and you're having to decide, what should I do? It comes back down to Jesus. Jesus is the narrow gate. Enter through Him. Enter His way. We look at it and say, man, I've, all of a sudden my, my body's been attacked. With with some sort of physical attack, a doctor's giving me a diagnosis. Do I, man? Do I pray against it? Maybe God's trying to use this to teach me something. You know, maybe God. I don't want to pray against God's, you know, God's plan for my life. You know, I don't want to go against God. Well, I want to go through the narrow gate. Well, let's look at it. Well, as we as we study through and we look at the ministry of Jesus, we're already uh, well through a good chunk of Matthew in our weekly readings together. We haven't seen Jesus make anybody sick. He's just been making people well. We want to know what Jesus was. We want to know what's the narrow path. We look at Jesus. Jesus is that narrow path. All He's done is made people well. All He's done is healed people. He hasn't put something on somebody. He didn't, you know, have one of the disciples go and break somebody's leg so that they'd teach him a lesson. God's not a mafia boss. God don't work that way. Jesus didn't have his crew, you know, to, to be his support team, you know, so they'd come in, somebody mess with him, you know. Get them, boys. God never did that, you know. He says, well, you know. In fact, when his disciples tried to say, man, these people rejected us, call down fire on them. Get them. He says, you don't even know what spirit you're of. What are you, what's the matter with you? That's not why I'm here. That's not why I'm here. We have to understand that every time when we come up, when we can look at the life of Jesus, we can look at Jesus, we look at the teachings of Jesus, and that's going to align us for the narrow gate. It's not a, it's not a huge mystery. We don't have to try to figure out what the world is or isn't doing. Oh, well, I, you know, wide is the gate, and everybody's going to go through the wide gate. Oh, don't try to rationalize it on all of this surface stuff. It just comes back to Jesus. Jesus is the narrow gate. And He wants all of us to come through. He's not choking it down so just one or two of us can get through. We're going to get to that whole few thing in just a minute. Jesus is the gate. And we enter through Him. The other thing that we look at is that it's about a journey with a destination. Let's notice here that this gate comes before the path comes before the way. The gate is at the beginning of it, not at the end. Some So many times we think that, you know, we get this narrow path so we can make it to Jesus. No, it's Jesus is the entry point. You haven't even begun to walk with God until you've met Jesus. You can't say that you've had some sort of walk with God or some sort of whatnot until, and then all of a sudden, well, then I came to know Jesus and I added Jesus into that. Uh-uh. Jesus is the beginning. It starts with the gate. Then there is the narrow way on the other side of the gate. But you've got to come through the gate first. It starts with it. So many times people, then I love the way that Jesus did that because salvation is not the end of the journey. It's not just, okay, bless God, I've prayed this prayer and now I'm a believer, which you are. Now I'm saved and going to heaven, which you are. And that's it. I'm done. No, it's not that at all. It's, that's the beginning of the journey. You've just stepped over from death to life. Now start living life. Now you get to start enjoying all that comes with, all that, what Paul says, accompanies salvation. What comes with salvation. Jesus is also the way. Whenever we look at, uh, um, well, let's go ahead and look at the, uh, uh, the Hebrew word for way remember john the baptist he shows up on the scene got this kind of crazy looking guy you know the picture that he gets you know he's got this you know out of control beard he's living out in the you know it looks like grizzly adams or something he's living out in the wilderness he's got the camel's hair and leather clothes he's eating wild locusts and honey he's preaching you know people are coming out of the town to hear him he's he's out in the distance and uh, he is quoting isaiah chapter 40 which says, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That way right there that, that he is quoting there from Isaiah 40 is the word derrick, which means road, but it also in a stronger way carries a figurative sense of the course of life or mode of action, the way you operate, the course of life, living life. Prepare your life. That was what he was saying. You know, he was not out there saying, come on now, we need to get text dot out here and prepare the streets for Jesus, you know. We need to get text dot out here and get some new gravel out here and prepare the the streets for Jesus. That's not what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about the literal streets. He said, prepare the way for the Lord. Prepare your life. Begin to look at your life. Begin to look. God is about to show up on the scene. the, The way to heaven is about to show up on the scene. The Messiah is about to show up. Prepare your life, is what he was saying. And Jesus,
1: Jesus is the way. Whenever we look at John chapter 14, verse 6, it says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That Greek word that is translated "their way, that Jesus says, is the exact same word that, that John the Baptist used when he said, prepare the way. Prepare your life. Get ready. And then Jesus says, I am the way. I think it was in that sense that people were having to look and see that they needed a new way. Whenever you go to prepare something, sometimes when it's you watching these HGTV shows and all this stuff, sometimes they decide it's just better to rip it out and put in new than try to patch what's there. John the Baptist was getting people to point and look! It's busted beyond repair. You're going to need a new way. You're going to need a new mode of life. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and says, I am that way. I am that way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. There in Revelations 22:13, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He says, I'm the A and the Z. I'm both ends of this deal. The beginning, the first and the last the beginning and the end. He is letting us know that, yes, He is the gate. He's the beginning point. But He's also the way. He's also this path that we're to follow. As we begin to look, we start with Jesus, we keep going with Jesus, and guess what? It ends with Jesus. Jesus should not be a one-time experience. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember me and Jesus back in, you know, this and this day. You know, we had this neat experience together. No, it ought to be, man, today, yesterday. I can't wait till tomorrow because His mercies are new every morning and I want to have spend time with God tomorrow. It is this way. It is this path. There was a uh, senator from New Jersey back in the 1930s. It was Senator Morrow. And, of course, back then, train travel was a pretty common deal. And he is on, gets on the train, and back then, of course, they didn't check your, punch your tags until they got on there just to expedite everything. Everybody just got on the train, and then the conductor went around checking to see if you were really supposed to be there or not. You know, do you really have a ticket? Where are you really going? Where are you supposed to be getting off of this thing? And so he comes up to Senator Morrow, and Senator Morrow is patting around and looking and checking in all his pockets and checking in all his stuff. And he's sitting there muttering to himself, I've got to find this ticket. I have got to find this ticket. And the conductor says, you know, he knew who he was. He said, Mr. Morrow, you know, it's fine. I, we are sure that you had a ticket. When you find it, just mail it in. Mail it into the railroad company. Everything will be just fine. He said, that's not what I'm worried about. He said, I've got to find that ticket because I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> so just in the hubbub of life, he, did, he, he just have, was going to some appointment, got on the train, and he didn't know where he was supposed to get off till he found that ticket. The deal is, is Jesus is the way. He start, and then we also know where we're going. He is a picture of where we're supposed to go. That <clears throat> Paul talks about until we become even in, molded even into the image of Christ. Jesus is where I start and He accepts me when I look nothing like Him. I'm not acting like Him, talking like Him, thinking like Him, nothing. I'm like other in the spectrum of Jesus. And then I walk with God. He is the way. And then He's also my destination. I'm being molded into the image of Christ with every little bit of his love, every little bit of his coaching, every little bit of his mercy, every day, and as I walk my path that he has for me, that's laid out and, and is defined by Jesus, I become more and more like him every day. And so do you. Jesus is using this example of the road simply because now with us we don't the road isn't a big deal. We don't walk anymore. We don't do, but man, walk on the road. That's where people would have their conversations. You know, people would sit there. The beggars would show up on the road because they would do, uh, <clears throat> be able to get their money there. All of the vendors would line up along the road. Life happened in the road. Whenever the the judges of Israel, whenever they would go out to handle court cases, it happened. They're in the road. They would go sit at the gates of the city right there on the road. And the people would come in and they would have their stuff. It was about life. Life happened there in the road. And what's interesting about Jesus is telling them about, about entering in through the narrow road because he had to break a conception in their mind. We're not Hebrews. We didn't live in that time. And so we're not we have to kind of look at what it is to understand the significance of why he's really telling them this is a narrow road this isn't a wide road because at that point in time they didn't have a whole lot of road signs and all that kind of stuff and the Jews had rules on their roads and they had four types of roads they had private roads which were the narrow roads and those private roads he- headed to a very specific destination and they could only be as wide as four cubits wide which a cubit is about 18 inches so it's about six feet wide wide enough to get your ox and cart down it wide enough to to get your donkey loaded up with its stuff down it not necessarily wide enough to have Come and go traffic, but it's a private road. It was it went to a specific destination. It wasn't a pass-through road that went on to another destination. It was a it was a private road. And so when somebody was coming along and they saw a four cubic wide road, a traveler knew, man, don't take that unless you know where it's going, because that's going to lead you to someplace really specific. Then there was then there were roads that went <clears throat> From a, then there were roads that went from city to city. And they had all of these little pockets. And then Jerusalem and all of them, they had all these little cities that all lined out. And the ones that went from city to city, th- those were twice as wide as the, as the private roads. So when you saw one that was 8 cubits wide, or about 12 feet wide, you knew that was going to carry you to another city. It wasn't a dead end. It was going to get you somewhere. You weren't going to end up in somebody's front yard going, uh, sorry, I'm wrong road. Um, this, those that were eight cubits wide were from city to city. And they were wide enough to allow come and go traffic. to have one oxen cart coming this way, another oxen cart going that way and able to get past. Then there was the next step up, and these were the completely public roads. These were roads that everybody used. They were more of thoroughfares where there was business and all sorts of stuff going on. And they were double again. These were now 16 cubits wide. So they were wide enough. And, that man, that's like a four-laner, man. You had plenty of traffic. You had room to get stuff in and out and all of that. But then the widest roads... The absolute widest roads were the roads that connected the cities of refuge. And these were the ones where we have to understand why Jesus is really pointing everybody to, to the narrow road. Because their mentality is going to be shifted by operating with these. Because all, only the cities of refuge were connected by the super, the super wide ones. The 32 foot cubic ones. And so those were in the city of refuge where they were placed all around uh, Israel. And if somebody accidentally killed somebody, then at that point the justice system was a little different. And if we were, you know, me and Larry out cutting wood together, you know, and my axe handle flies off my, and it accidentally flies over and knocks him in the head and brings his wonderful life to an end... Well, miss Beth, she can hunt me down like a dog, man. She can have blood for blood, you know she can come at me or you know or or he can get she can get Nathan to come after me and brother in law one of the family members can come after you even over an accident, and the cities of refuge were a place where these people who had had this penalty of death hanging over them could run to and live there. And once they crossed the threshold, then it was it was wrong for the family to come in and 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 get vengeance there. They were completely safe. And there were those su- wide superhighways, those wide ones. Somebody that was having to flee, they didn't have to think one thing. They did all they had to do is stay on the wide roads, and they were going to get safe. They'd be in a blind terror. They just accidentally killed somebody. More than likely, it was somebody they cared about because they'd be around them. There are all sorts of grief. There's all sorts of stuff. They're having to leave their families to go and hide in these cities of refuge. There's all this stuff going on. They don't have time to think. They just stay on the wide road. Just stay on the wide road. Just go as fast as you can because the, 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 the Avenger, if they even caught you in route... Man, you were at their mercy. And so they didn't have to think. You stay on the 32s. And you're, when you come to a city, that is a safe place. Boom, you stay in there and, and you are safe. Jesus is letting us know all of a sudden that guess what? When it comes to us having to deal with sin and its payment barking at our heels... It's not just run the wide, whatever wide road. Any old road will get you there. Sin was dealt with in a very narrow because there was only one way. There's only one way for sin to be dealt with, and it was through Jesus. And Jesus said, guess what? You're going to have to enter through the narrow way. You're going to have to enter through the narrow road. It's not just this deal. He was talking to a bunch of Jews that thought they were all going to be able to be saved just because they were children of Abraham. Guess what? That didn't handle their sin issue. It didn't handle. It made them. A, it made them heir to the promise, but it didn't handle the sin issue. Said so you're going to have to come in through the narrow way, and I am that way. You're, you're going to don't go down those super highways. Don't go down those. People. Plenty of people try to do that. Oh Lord, bless Oprah and help her, Lord. But there was this deal where she's on there and she was, you know, she'll say stuff and quote the Bible, but she really got in an argument. It's on YouTube with this lady who that saying that Jesus isn't the only way, and she's like, and Oprah's saying Jesus just can't be, it's just not fair. Not everybody knows about Jesus. Jesus just can't be the only way. He is a way, but he isn't the only way. You know, it's just got to be wider than that. In people's minds, it's, it's just got to be wider than that. And Jesus Jesus said, ah, no, because there's, uh, there's only one answer. Sin held a huge penalty, and only one way was that penalty dealt with, and you have to enter through the narrow road. The road was there. We look at it, and, and just so much of the Bible happens in the road. It, it's, again, it's representative of our lives. Man, we have Jesus with the journey to Bethlehem on the road. We have so many of His miracles happening in the road. A lady comes and grabs the hem of his garment and gets healed in the road. There's a funeral procession outside of Nain, and Jesus gives a woman back her son from the dead in the road. Over and over, and that's just where life happened, was the road. Jesus carries His cross publicly through the road. Jesus, after His resurrection, is walking down the road to Emmaus and talking to two of His disciples. As soon as all of the disciples are holed up and waiting for the the gifts of the Holy Spirit, waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes up, and all of a sudden, where do they find themselves? They're back out in the road. They're out in the streets. They're all all speaking in tongues and praying in tongues. And and all of these people are hearing in their own languages the glories of God being spoken out of these people who are obviously not from that neck of the woods. And 3,000 people get saved in the road. Life happened in the road. We're just talking about that about going the way, going down that road. He's talking about life. It's not just tar and gravel. It's about life, that He is our life. Then we're going to close down now talking about that only a few find it. Man, this can be intimidating. This can be intimidating because, you know, most of us, if we, if we try not to be um, arrogant, you know, try to be a little bit humble. You know we don't want to. You know, you know the Marines talk about you know the few, the proud. You know we try. Well, I'm not necessarily going to say I'm for sure one of these few. Only a few finds it. Well, again, You know it's a few sounds like, like, you know not even us. You know it's just maybe you know there's people on this side and all of us on this side we get left out. You know because it's just a few. Let's we have to understand this from heaven's perspective. Let's let's look at what a few is. First off, first off, we have to look at, on, from heaven's perspective, on two different levels. First off, we see that heaven will be filled with a multitude. <clears throat> Revelation 7 9 says, After I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that nobody could count. From every nation and tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb and they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. There's a lot of people, a multitude nobody can count. And the Bible makes some pretty big counts. There's some there's some times where millions of people are accurately counted. So you even take that out and say they even do groups of people of a million or so people that are accurately counted, and you do that and then they add them together. You know, we start talking even from a biblical standpoint of a multitude that no man can count. That is a lot of people. There is a ton of people that, that get to be in heaven that that embrace what Christ has done. So so we, we're having now to shift and understand a few in light of that, well, we've got to, so we understand there's a multitude that, that are there in heaven that, that receive Christ. Now, to help us piece this together, we also have to understand God's perspective on something else. Is that God wants all humanity to receive salvation. God wants us all. He wants every man, woman, boy and girl to know Him. Hell was not made for people. God did not create hell to stick all the bad people in. He loves all of us. The only reason somebody ends up in hell is not receiving Christ, not letting Him do the, the penalty for their sin. That's it. That's the only reason. That's, that is the delineating point, it's Jesus. God wants all of us in Second Peter 3 9. It says, The Lord is slow, is not slow, sorry, in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. When here when with uh, Jesus referring to a multitude in heaven as a few, it shows God's heart for all humanity not just those who receive his love. It's because in comparison to all humanity, there was just a few that found it. He wanted all. There was a, he had a no-loss mentality. He didn't want any of us to go. You know, it's like, you know, you go out to the driving range or something, you want to hit every ball good. You know, and eventually you're going to hit even the good ones. You know, even the pros, you know, they'll hit a bunch of them good. And you ask them, you know, did you hit any good balls? Yeah, I hit a few. Well, they may have hit three quarters of them good. That's a lot of good balls. Well, what's the delineating point? They wanted to hit every one of them good. And anything less than that, that's a few. That's a few. It shows God's heart for humanity. He didn't go, oh, wow. Man, more saved than I even anticipated. Wow, that's more than I thought. You know, I didn't, I didn't really want this many people in heaven. Wow, that's a lot. You know, I'm going to have to add on. You know, he's not doing that. He wanted all of us. He wanted all of us. So in, in, from heaven's perspective, even a mul- the multitude that's going to receive in light of the loss of those that did not, it's still a few... Then whenever we look at the, the last thing is referring, is uh, secondly, few enter in to all that God has offered us. As remember, we're talking about and defining the way. We have the gate, and then we have the narrow way, the narrow path. That there are, there are few of us, few believers, few people, who really enter in to all that God has to offer He says that he's going to do abundantly above what we can ask or think. And you know what? I know that I have not begun to enter into everything God has for me. You know, and then there are times where we read these stories of these great heroes of faith, and they're operating on such incredible levels and seeing so many miracles happen. So many wonderful things happen in ministry. Thousands upon millions of lives coming to know Christ. I mean, just incredible stuff. And really, they're just scratching the surface. Christ's gift to us was so full and so complete that very few of us actually fully walk the road we ought to be walking to enjoy everything that Christ gave us. And we ought to be endeavoring, like Luke says, to enter in the narrow way. Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. John 21, 21 through 22 says, When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? He wants to know, what about John? God's telling him, Jesus just told him to follow me. And he said, What about that guy? What about John? What are you going to make him do? And Jesus' response is, I love his response. He's just a little bit smarty pants here. Just a little bit smart, Alec. And I just, I'm sorry, but I just got to appreciate a little bit of smart, Alec now and then. And uh, and Jesus, Jesus answers and says, <laughs> if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? That sounds like something my wife would say to one of my kids. They got another brownie. If I want to let them eat the whole pan, what's that to you? I'm the mom. They're my kids. I can do whatever I want. <sighs> See, the deal is, is and then he tells him again, you must follow me. We are. We have our own. God has called us each individually to walk with Him, and we cannot get into the trap of looking at what other people do or don't do, or what's required or not required, or or any of that kind of stuff. The Bible tells us so blatantly there. <coughs> in uh, in Second Corinthians ten twelve. It says, If we do, not, uh, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. It says, It's completely foolish to measure yourself by somebody else. Jesus once said, do not, You're not allowed to judge another man's servant. You don't know if he's doing right or not. That's why we don't that's why around here we don't get on to you telling you if you're if you're sitting there doing with doing with God what you're supposed to be. I'll simply ask, which way is God carrying you forward? What is God requiring of you? And then I'm going to hold you to what comes out of your own mouth. Cuz you're saying the spirit of God is showing you I need to step forward in this, I need to do this, and then I'll hold you accountable to that. And say, how is that going? How is that working? But I'm not going to come in and tell you, ah, well, you need to do this and you need to do that and all this kind of stuff. I don't know what God's requiring of you. As long as your path looks like Jesus and, what, and your next step looks like Jesus, then bless God, you're going in the right way. It is so important that we need to each individually live our lives with God. God only made one you for a reason. Don't you try to be some cookie cutter of somebody else. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. We so you have to be you. you you're going to stand before God for your choices and what He's called you to do and that how you used your giftings, and they're so unique and so special. And you're going to have to walk in that yourself go with God. He's the narrow gate. He's the narrow way. He's our destination. And as we take step by step going forward with him, then we will live the life we were called to live. What an incredible adventure we get to individually have with our Savior. What an incredible time. Glory to God. Well, let's uh, bow our heads and Close our eyes, we want to give an opportunity. If there's anybody